Well, it is so good to have uh, Bob Hatfield with us this morning, uh, filling in, leading us in our time of worship. And Bob uh, did serve for 36 years, I believe, as Minister of Music at Dawson Memorial Baptist Church here in Homewood, uh, Alabama, uh, and now serves as Minister to Adults there. But any time that we have uh, a guest with us, a uh, guest believer with us, whether leading us or in a lay capacity, it is a reminder that the God that we worship is much larger than just our local expression of the body of Christ right here. And we have a relationship with other believers that is united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. With that being said, relationships in general uh, can be a challenge. Uh, relationships can be uh, tough. Sure, relationships that don't have any depth to them uh, are rather easy, but any relationship that is worth having uh, can be a challenge. In fact, uh, this is true because uh, we are all different. We have different personalities. We have different perspectives. We have different likes and dislikes, uh, differences making it difficult often to see eye to eye and add to that the fact that we are all selfish sinners apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and relationships are downright tough. In fact, in his book, Peacemaking for Families, uh, Ken Sandy writes, where two or three are gathered, there's a conflict waiting to happen. Relationships can be a challenge, yet... For us as believers, uh, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ teaches and communicates through the written word of God that the quality of our relationships with other people is a representation to some extent uh, of the quality of our relationship with God. In other words, our relationship with people is tied to our relationship with uh, our Lord. In fact, Jesus writing to, or not writing, Jesus speaking to believers, recorded in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, verses 23 and 24. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you are participating in worship, the worship of God, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, Go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, the significance of our worship of God is tied to the quality of our relationships with other believers. And perhaps family relationships are often the most difficult for family members or those that know us best, that know all about us. And yet, the God of Scripture, the one and only God, is a God who restores broken relationships. In fact, if your family is not characterized by some broken relationships and some family drama, then you are the exception, uh, not the norm. But thankfully, as believers and the one true God, we have opportunity and we have hope to restore what is broken because God is a reconciling God. He is a God who restores what is broken. He is a God who particularly restores broken relationships and he has been doing so and will continue to restore 
broken sinners, lost sinners, selfish people like you and me to the one and only eternal perfect God through the blood of, of Jesus Christ. And that reconciliation with him then impacts our relationships with other people. Let me invite you to join me in God's word, to open up God's word with me to Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 33, as we continue looking at the life of Jacob. We have stated that Jacob was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. Jacob had many flaws, yet he was a man whom God had chosen to be part of his redemptive program, a person who occupied a central place in uh, God's story of developing a people, of creating a people, of setting apart a people who would be his people. He was a man who, whom God intervened in his life and fixed him up to be used for, for his purposes. And more specifically, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Jacob's relationship, not only with God, but his relationship with his brother Esau. This was a relationship that was characterized by hatred and hostility and tension, but a relationship that nonetheless God intervened in in order to reconcile for their good and ultimately for God's glory. As you find your place in Genesis chapter 33, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Verse 4, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Verse 12, then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked, just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. 
That is why the place is called Sukkoth. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Father God, we ask you, we invite you to lead us now to speak to us through your word and to guide us by your spirit in understanding and interpreting and applying the truths of your word to our lives as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, everybody loves a good story, especially a story with a happy ending. And here we have a resolution to a decades-long struggle between two twin brothers, two feuding brothers, Jacob and Esau. You'll remember that this relationship and the difficulties of this particular relationship went way back to to Jacob's manipulation of Esau. Remember that Jacob had quickly and deceitfully manipulated his older twin brother Esau into selling him his birthright as the firstborn son for a bowl of vegetable soup in a moment of desperation. Relationship was not off to a good start, but the tension there, the hostility between those two brothers was heightened drastically when Jacob joined with his mother Rebecca in deceiving both boys' father, Isaac, into giving the father's blessing not to the eldest son Esau, as was the custom, but to the younger son Jacob. And as a result of those experiences, we learn from the text, we learn from this story earlier in Genesis that Esau hated his brother. He wanted to kill his brother. He wanted to murder his, his brother. And so his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, send Jacob away. They instruct him to go to another land, go to Padan Aram in northwest Mesopotamia and to visit with relatives there, to find a wife there, and he'll be safe there for the time being. Now, ever since Jacob has departed that place 20 years later, by the way, Tension has been building in the story. Tension has been building in the narrative as Jacob prepares to encounter his brother Esau for the first time in two decades. And imagine the emotions that Jacob must have been feeling here. The strange relationship with his brother, this hostile relationship, knowing that his brother at one time wanted to kill him and Jacob knowing that he had been deceitful toward his brother and now he prepares to encounter his brother on his way back to his father's homeland and he just learns through his servants that Esau is coming toward him with 400 men. No doubt he was fearful, he was scared. And We learn earlier in the story that he sought the Lord, that he prayed to the Lord, that he bowed before the Lord and then in the night, the previous night, Before this encounter, in chapter 33, God appeared to Jacob. As a man, he wrestled with Jacob in order to increase his faith and to shape and to mold his faith in God, to build his trust in and his confidence in God. Preparing him to to face his brother Esau in whatever may lay ahead. But not only did God at 
this point intervene in Jacob's life, but we also learn through the details of the story and the outcome of the story that at some point God also intervened in Esau's life, giving him a change of heart toward his brother. And we don't know what that looked like. We don't know when that took place. We can only speculate. This is another example of where of when Scripture doesn't tell us everything we want to know. Rather, Scripture tells us everything we need to know. We don't know if it was over years of maturing that Esau had chosen to forgive his, his brother or whether it was a quick intervention in the night. God changed Esau's heart. But regardless of the case, we know from the story that God intervened and by His grace, He reconciled this broken relationship. And this story of these two brothers is just one example, church, of the biblical truth that God is gracious and desires to reconcile broken relationships among his people. The God that we serve, the God of Jacob, the God of Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ is a gracious God and a God who desires to reconcile broken relationships among his people. Now, this is no guarantee that our relationships with other people, particularly with other believers, will be fully reconciled. But it gives us a, a picture, a window into the heart of God that this is what God desires for His people. And He desires us to relate to one another in a way that reflects His grace toward us. And though each of us are characterized by sin, and because of our sin, often find ourselves in hostile circumstances and tension with other people, God's grace overcomes our sin, and He desires to reconcile our relationships in a way that benefits us and glorifies His name. And anyone that has ever spent much time at all listening to others talk about relationship issues knows that usually when there's a relationship issue, both parties are at fault, at least to some extent. And no doubt here, Jacob had his share of problems and issues that contributed to this hostile relationship. He had been sinful. He had been manipulative. He had been deceitful. He had worked to increase his lot at the expense of his own brother. Yet even so, despite his sin, we learn that God was gracious, that God intervened ultimately to bring these two brothers together once again. In church, we too can trust God to restore the broken. We can trust God to restore the broken, for God is a restorer of what is broken. He is a reconciler of broken relationships. And here he intervened in order to reconcile this broken relationship between two siblings. When I think of sibling relationships, I can't help but to think of my own two children. And my youngest son, or my youngest child, my only son, Paxton, is not even two years old, but uh, I know I'm a little biased, but he is an interesting character uh, because he can be uh, clearly displaying one personality, one mood, and then in a matter of seconds be displaying the total opposite personality and opposite uh, mood as if nothing ever happened. And I don't know if this is sort of a, a toddler thing or if this is something unique to my own son. So those of you that uh, have uh, conquered the toddler years, maybe you can shed some light uh, on this. Uh, but as much as it pains me a little bit to say it, my, my own son, whom I dearly love, 
uh, his actions uh, from time to time, probably more than just from time to time, display that uh, he is uh, a recipient of the sin nature that is in all of us. Uh, because every so often, probably a little bit more than every so often right now, he thinks it's appropriate out of nowhere just to hit his older sister, uh, Kinsley. And uh, Kinsley, uh, thankfully at this stage, does not hit him back, but her response is to tell mom or dad, hey, Paxton hit me again. And so Paxton finds himself in the timeout corner again, putting his time in. And once he's put his time in, coming out and reconciling with his sister, embracing her, giving her a hug, telling her that he is sorry. And the two are playing uh, once again as if nothing ever happened. Now that relationship and uh, the reconciliation that often takes place is a pattern that has been repeated many times and I'm sure will be repeated quite a few more times before it's overcome. Uh, but this relationship and the reconciliation that takes place in it uh, pales in comparison uh, to the difficulties and the hostility and the tension of the relationship between Jacob and Esau. Because my own two children, I don't think, through all of these scenarios, ever stopped loving each other. At least not yet. In fact, like many children, they often come to one another's defense when the other one is in trouble. But here, Jacob and Esau have spent years, no doubt, filled with animosity toward one another. Not wanting what is best for the other. Each working to, to benefit themselves, wanting to benefit themselves at the expense of the other. Though brothers, they were for an extended period of time enemies. And yet, even so, God intervened, showing His grace in order to reconcile two broken men into a right relationship with one another. As previously stated, we don't know if in the case of Esau, if this was a gradual uh, realization and reconciliation or a sudden realization. In fact, some interpreters think that perhaps this is uh, something that uh, Esau had come to grips with some time before this. But prior to this episode, he had already forgiven his brother and he was coming with these 400 men in order to, to welcome his brother and to safely escort Jacob and his family as they were traveling. And perhaps that's the case. Uh, I tend to think that like uh, in the case with Jacob, uh, this is evidence of perhaps a sudden dramatic intervention uh, at the hand of God once again. That like God intervened in the night with Laban, warning Laban not to harm Jacob, and like God intervened with King Abimelech, warning the King Abimelech not to touch Sarah because she was Abraham's wife. Perhaps God intervened here again drastically in the night doing a work of transformation on Esau as well as Jacob. Now, certainly we don't know that to be the case, but imagine the evidence, if that were the case, of the hand of God in this particular situation. Either way, God was at work restoring these two into right relationship with one another. Have you ever seen the hand of God at work in your life? Has God ever restored something in your life? Has God ever restored a broken relationship in your life? Perhaps your marriage was on the brink of divorce and God intervened. Perhaps a 
child who had run away from home, returned home. Perhaps a relationship with a father that was very broken was suddenly, not suddenly, gradually healed, perhaps suddenly as well, but gradually healed over a long period of time. And if you can identify with any of these, not fail to acknowledge the hand of God at work in the lives of His people, restoring us not only to right relationship with Him, but right relationship to, to one another. You see, God had already intervened in Jacob's life appeared to him in the night in order to increase his faith in God, to remind him of the restoration that God desired to, to bring to his relationship with him and a restoration and a faith in God that would then impact his relationship with other people. And this is the way that God often operates. In fact, hold your place in Genesis 33 and turn with me Far to the right in your Bibles to New Testament letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians clearly conveys the implications of the gospel, not only on our relationship as individuals with God, but on our relationship, relationships as Christians with other believers. And in the first century, Paul writes to Christians living in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he He states, for Christ himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, two groups that were in hostility toward one another, made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away, that is Gentiles, and peace to those who were near Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Verse 19, he continues, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too, believers, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In other words, those who who know the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God and reconciler of lost, broken sinners, have not only been restored to right relationship with God, but they now have something in common with all other believers that trumps every other difference we may have. The gospel of Jesus Christ trumps age differences and personality differences and gender differences and cultural differences and ethnic differences and national differences and political differences and unites together believers in Jesus, reconciling people together who once were severed, once were hostile, once were different, known by our differences, bringing us to together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, God is gracious and he desires to reconcile broken relationships. And we can learn from this particular story in Genesis chapter 33 that true reconciliation overcomes bitterness 
with love. True reconciliation overcomes bitterness with love. Surprising twist of events here in chapter 33, verse 4. Jacob taking the submissive role as servant, bowing down to the ground before Esau. And Esau runs to him and embraces him. Wraps his arms around him and kisses him. And the two brothers weep together. And Esau continues offering to accompany Jacob, to go with Jacob. To go and to travel together and perhaps even to settle together. And Jacob refuses that gift for practical reasons, for the well-being of his children and his livestock. But Esau continues to press, revealing the significance of this reconciliation. Verse 15, he says, Then let me leave some of my men with you. If I can't stay with you, if we can't be together, let me, let me give you some of my men to help you and to protect you along the way. And Jacob responds, but why do that? Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. In other words, let me find favor in your eyes. You've been gracious to me already, and I trust in God to provide for me and to protect me. Bitterness overcome with, with love. As a result, the two reconciled brothers depart ways and go in different directions. And once again, we're not told why Jacob goes in a different direction. Perhaps the Lord intervened again and cautioned Jacob and told him to depart toward the land of Canaan. But the grace that God had shown each of them no doubt impacted the way that they responded to one another. So church... Does the grace that God has shown you in and through Jesus Christ impact the way that you approach others? Does the grace that God has shown you impact the way that you approach a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter or a parent or a spouse or a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate whom you perceived has wronged you? Church, as people of faith and the God of the Bible, a God who is a reconciling God, we must allow God's grace to transform our relationships with others. Let's allow God's grace to transform our relationships with others. You see, there's a vertical and a horizontal dimension to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A vertical dimension that God reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ. And as a result of that reconciliation, then we can be reconciled with other believers in Jesus Christ. With other people in the world, but particularly other believers in, in Jesus. Jacob recognized in this story that God had brought peace to a relationship that had been characterized by hatred, discord, deceit, and dishonesty. God recognized, or Jacob recognized in this story that God had brought prosperity in his own life. It's a way of fulfilling the promises that he had made to, to Jacob. It's a way of setting him apart as a people who would become a nation and ultimately would be ancestors of spiritual ancestors of God, all of God's people. And Jacob recognized that God had protected him in the midst of Dangerous and threatening situations. And as a response to all of these things, Jacob praised God. Church, the proper response to peace and prosperity and protection is praise. It is to praise God. 
just to worship him. And Jacob worshiped God here in the end of this story in verses 18 and following. Look back at the text. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And there he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means mighty is the God of Israel. And so through Jacob's worship of the Lord God here, he acknowledged that it was the Lord who had appeared to him at Bethel. And it was the Lord who had appeared to him at Peniel. And it was the Lord who had protected him in the midst of a dangerous situation. It was the Lord who had reconciled him to, to his brother Esau. It was the Lord who had delivered him. And so he praised God, who is the deliverer. Friends, we too have been delivered by God from danger. In fact, our presence this morning is a testimony to God delivering us from danger. Certainly, God, if we are here, God has delivered us from physical danger many times, but the greatest deliverance that He has shown us is the deliverance He's provided for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Delivering us from judgment and death and destruction that we deserve as sinful, rebellious people against a perfect, holy, just, and mighty God. And so as people of faith who have been the recipients of God's intervention, His gracious intervention and deliverance in our lives, friends, let's acknowledge God's deliverance with praise. Let's be people who... Acknowledge God's hand, who acknowledge His grace in delivering each of us and giving Him the praise that He deserves. Let's join together, individually and collectively, in praising and worshiping God, the God who has reconciled us to Him and who has delivered us from, from danger. Church, in the greater context of this book, greater context of God's Word, I think the central truth that we can take away from the life of Jacob and Esau as conveyed here in Genesis chapter 33 is that the grace of God amends our relationship with Him and with one another. The grace of God amends our relationship. It improves it. It overcomes any deficiencies that are there. It modifies it to make it better. To make it right. The grace of God amends our relationship with Him and with one another. So how about you? Have you been reconciled to, to God through Jesus Christ? Are you the recipient of, of new life in and through Jesus? In the second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us as believers the message of reconciliation. Church, the grace of God amends our relationship with Him and with one 
another. As we, as people of faith in Jesus Christ, who have been reconciled through Jesus, participate in telling the world about the God who reconciles. Father, we give you praise this morning because you are a mighty and sovereign king. You are the eternal God, holy and set apart. There is none like you. And Father, even so, you you are gracious toward us, your creatures. You love us with an unfailing love and you call us to be your children. To be in right relationship with you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we thank you for, for reconciling us to yourself. Father, may we live in light of what you have done. The mercy and the grace that you have showered on us. Father, may we be faithful followers of you. And may the grace that you have shown us impact our relationships with other people for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.